Hi everyone, it's Audrey Freeman here and I'm back today with another episode of Sportive AF. I am so excited as today I have a very special guest and a great friend of mine who is only the director of one of the best ballet and opera houses in the world and that is Mr. Alexander Neve. Alexander is currently the Director General of the Opera de Paris when he took over the position in 2019. Before that, he was the General Manager for the Canadian Opera from 2008 to 2020. Now, I won't take up too much of your time as Alexander and I talk about all things ballet, arts, operas and everything else in between. So before we get started, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and on Instagram at SportiveAF. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Okay, well, welcome everyone, Alexander Neve, to the Sportive AF podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on today. Happy to be here. (laughs) So if everyone doesn't know, actually, I asked Alexander about a year and a half ago, uh, to join the podcast and unfortunately he was a little too busy but since then we have actually become very good friends. That is, that's right. So if anyone doesn't know you which I'm sure a lot of people know that you are the general director of the Paris Opera but could you give us a little brief about how you've got here? In summary I know there's been a lot of a lot of the journey but if you could summarize it for us. Okay well um I'll just start and you speed me up or slow me down. Perfect. Born in Germany, um, grew up there, went to school there, went to university there, um, and discovered classical music and opera really through, first through radio um, and television through school. Um, I was singing in the school choir, actually, which was a big um, moment of musical discovery for me. Um, I started playing the piano because I admired my... Um, teacher's piano playing, the teacher who mm. accompanied the choir. And so slowly got into music without ever thinking this would be like a professional opportunity one day. And that's probably what got me here, um, that I was into it so much, but n- never um, like seriously, if you want. Yeah. Um, until people, you know, people around me, friends, um, considered that I was so into it that I knew so much about it that maybe I should be pushed a little bit more into the um, professional sphere, which is what happened towards the end of my studies when um, a couple of friends really encouraged me to join a group they had formed um, to talk about opera, talk about classical music with professionals. And that's where I met my first boss, Gerard Mottier, who at that time was the director of the Salzburg Festival, um, which is the largest festival for classical music in Europe or maybe in the world, Um, probably in the world. Um, (laughs) And I I worked with him for 10 years um, in different different places. Um, One of them in Paris where where I was his casting director. Um, And then I went my own ways, went to Canada, to Toronto, and ran the um, Canadian opera company there for 12 years. Before returning to Paris in 2020, in the middle of COVID, um, (laughs) when I left Paris in 2008, I never thought I would come back. (laughs) <laughs> to run the company, but 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 here I am, and I'm I'm very happy to be here, and, and very happy to um to, to reconnect and um run this wonderful place. Definitely, and obviously, how was that joining the Paris Opera during COVID? I'm sure some challenges would have would have come with that. <laughs> I mean, look, nothing was easy during COVID. 
Yeah. Um, like where where I was in Toronto, we we were completely um, closed, um, and we knew at that point already that we would have to remain closed for quite a long time. Moving in the middle of COVID was no fun. Mm. Um, like setting up a life in a new city um, with a family in the middle of COVID was very, very difficult. Um, on the professional side, I think going through the pandemic or most of the pandemic with the company was actually a very good thing. Um, even though that wasn't wasn't necessarily easy either, like we, we were first closed and we um, were allowed to work, but not to perform in front of an audience. So for a long mm. time, we worked on all our shows we created them without an audience um recorded them for streaming which was a very good thing to do because it actually allowed people to work um yeah also to to stay in shape you know when we talk about not only about the dancers but it's the same thing for the chorus for the orchestra um these instruments they need to <clears throat> keep working in order to to keep functioning so we were quite lucky to be able to do that, but it's very frustrating to rehearse the new production for six weeks and then <laughs> um, perform it twice um, oh. for for a recording and, and then that's it. And the rest of the run, obviously, it makes no sense to do it. Of course. Yeah, definitely. And going back to, you know, your early life and what influenced you to love opera and arts and, and ballet so much, was there any moments that ignited your interest specifically, like, do you remember like going back, like seeing your first opera or or something that really clicked with you that you wanted to kind of do this as as somewhat of a of a profession? I have a very vivid um, memory of my first the first opera that I found in life, and mm. that was a couple of years after I had started listening. And it was you know close to my I grew up in a little in a little village, but you know the next big city was not so far away, mm. and um, they have a very fine opera company it's still a very fine opera company today um so i went to see beethoven's fidelio um oh, yeah. and it was really like this it was it was a complete shock experience really um because the difference between listening to music at home and the difference of experience yes. in like physically in a space was just incredible um and it's a fairly small theater so it was very intimate um and i remember the production and the thing was staged by a Russian director. It was there was still like um, the Arab Curtain still existed. Uh, it was before the end of communism, right? Um, yeah, and it was a there was a very oppressive atmosphere in the auditorium. I, it was really quite quite powerful. It was even at that time I'll never forget that because it was still there were two Germanys. Um, the conductor <laughs> was a was a guest from the German Democratic Republic. Oh, um, so. Um, Wow. It was all it was all very powerful, very political, and um, yes. um it clearly um captivated me in a way that I um wanted to keep going with it. Wow, that's amazing. And how old were you then? Uh, I think I was about thirteen. Thirteen. And from then, yeah. did you do anything within opera or music industry that was quite educational? Did you ever take courses or classes that sparked your interest or you just listened? So I, I played the piano. Um, uh -huh. for myself which I think is a, a very important tool um, in what I do professionally today because to, to, able to, to be able to read music to understand music to talk about music with conductors with directors with singers I think it's very yes. important to have that to have that knowledge um, but it was really um, for the longest time just for myself um, and I'd never did like an opera course or anything I just went to the opera a lot especially yeah. when I had started uni university I was maybe at the opera three times a week, just 
just in the audience and also yeah. seeing the same thing over and over and over again, which I think is really the best way of getting yeah. to know music, to getting to know a certain piece, is to really go, not listen at home, but really go there and be there mm. and um, hear it with different casts. Right? Yes. It's the same for ballet. Yes. Um, different casts in opera and different casts in ballet always give you a different idea yeah. of what that um, piece and what that production is really about, what that choreography is all about. Um, and that really, for me, that was became very important to see the same thing with different people because I understood how you kind of never get to the end of it. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about strategies for long-term art sustainability. So, like, what you have in mind for, you know, longevity of keeping the Paris Opera at the top? <laughs> I think it is a very good question. Thank you for that. Um, okay. And... I, I think of that a lot because um, there's like different aspects to it. Mm. I mean, the, the most obvious, um, the two most obvious maybe, is that art needs a connection with people, like with society. Of course. So we need to be able to communicate with people. Mm. Like we need to mean something to them. Yeah. Right? I think that's in the end is the most important thing. And um Related to that is something that we also need to afford people, especially young people, mm. the opportunity mm. to get to know art, right? Um, you know, I was at the Louis Vuitton Foundation, no PR, but um, the other <laughs> day, um, to see the um, Bastia Warhol exhibit. And I was really mm. struck by um, the number of young people yeah. that were there. Um, I'm also um, struck by the number of young people that come to the Opera and the Ballet here. We have mm. one of the youngest audiences in the world for Opera and Ballet here in, here in Paris. Um, and that has a lot to do with, I think, that our audience, even our young audience, has a cultural routine that includes Opera and Ballet, right? It's all yep. about training people that it's for them. Yes. Or yeah, maybe training exactly. is the wrong word. It's just showing people at a very young age, this is for you. Like you're not Even excluded. It's not a question of, of income or um, family background or so. If this speaks to you, mm. like in, in speaking to you with a work of art, it means if you can build a spontaneous emotional connection with this work of art, yeah. it is for you. And you have to write to interact with it. Right? Nobody yes. can that take that right away from you if it's a if it's a book or a play or um, a painting or a sculpture or a ballet or an opera or a symphony or whatever. Um, if you encounter this work of art and it speaks to you, mm. there's nothing else you need in order to have the right to access it. Like you so don't true. have to have you don't have to have studied it or no. Um, for me, this is the emotional connection with a work of art and to exposing young people and affording them the opportunity to have this emotional connection with a work of art um, is, is, the, is the crucial moment because once you're emotionally engaged, you will want to get intellectually engaged. Yes, yeah. Right? I mean, if, if you feel very passionate about something, you will want to read about it. You will want yeah. to have more of it. More of it. And it, that, that's it's it's the very, very beginning. And from there, I think, comes the other, especially for my two art forms, if you want, yes. um, the, the, the crucial need for 
support from society, right? Yes. Because it is expensive to produce. Um, it usually doesn't pay, like the revenue from a performance doesn't pay for the performance. That's mm. pretty much the, the general rule. So you need to build around a system of additional revenue right. that will, um, you know, allow us to keep going and to, you know, pay um, the artists, pay everybody who's involved with, um, um, with the opera um, their salaries every month. And, and that's a that's a crucial thing. We won't be able to do that if society doesn't embrace us, you know, yeah. either directly through their donations or their ticket buying or through taxes um, and, and subsidy. Um, the, the two are really very intimately linked. Um, Definitely. And, and I believe the, the, the thing that I regret more and more is the, the discussion about the elitism of opera and ballet of high art in general i think yes. it's, a, it's a it's a it's it's a very badly constructed argument that unfortunately seems um to work on a polemic level very well yeah because definitely. because of the cost associated of it uh, associated to it um but in the end when you look at it what you can bring to the development of a young person to have the world of art opened up to that person Mm. Um, and it's it's not about all of them becoming artists or not even all of them becoming regular audience members. Mm. It's about showing them the the um, flip side of humanity, like our urge to express ourselves. Yes, yeah, ourselves with art as a complement to what we do in our professional life, in our political life. You know, um, I mean, art in in the end, consciously or subconsciously, was invented by humans mm. because they needed to express themselves and they needed to find a way to look at their own reality through the lens of art um, to understand the human condition better. I mean, yeah. this is all, it's, it's not, it's not something, art is not something artificial. It's a, no. it's, an, it's an, it, it's an urge, yeah. a human urge of expression and of interaction, um, of communication. I think that it's really so important and nothing makes me angrier than um, when we're pushed in the elitist corner and when people don't see that this is an essential need for society. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Because, and I, I, I say that each time I talk about this um, subject, what art teaches us in a playful way, especially high art, is to deal with complexity. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because works of art are complex. Very um, complex, yeah. Complex, and you need to make an effort. Yeah. Like you need to, after that first in, initial emotional reaction, if you really want to understand it, other than on an emotional level, you need to work for it a little bit, and which is easy even if you're passionate about it. It's not just something exactly. you have to study, right? Um, so in a way, what what art can teach us is dealing with complexity, mm. having a having no fear of complexity yeah um exactly master com master complexity and if and then it becomes a transferable skill and um i think this is really 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 important for for good functioning of especially democratic societies people need to be able to deal with complexity they need mm. to have the tools yes just by themselves the intellectual and emotional tools to deal with complexity because if they understand complexity in a ballet or an author um they will be able to deal much better with the complexities of their own society. Um, they will feel armed um, 
to you know deal with complexities of life. Um, and that's really in the end, that's what we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it a little bit before, but I completely agree with this. And I feel like, you know, you can see a ballet once or you can listen to a, a, a song once, a score or a symphony or and then if you even listen to it by a different orchestra or a different performer or a different dancer, it, it brings a whole even different aspect. And the more you listen to it or or you, you see the piece of art, how do you think that transfers as well? Like sometimes people might listen to a song once or, or watch a ballet once and go, no, I don't like it. It's not for me. But maybe they watch it with a different cast or yeah, see it with I a different there needs to be, Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, there needs to be a lot of freedom around it. You know, it's yes, not like a, yeah. um, it's not about forcing people. It's about no, yes. offering them access. Right? Yes. And then sometimes, it, it, and it's uh, as we said before, it's different every day. And sometimes it's just yeah. not your day to yeah. to like a certain work of art or a certain performer. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah. At another moment of your life, um, you might get to a point to say, "How is it possible that this was absent that... from my life for so long, or how yes. that I was not? How 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 was I not able to mm. appreciate it or to um, feel passionately about it?" So Absolutely. This is it's 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 fragile, but it's also because it's so rich. Um, there's no where you have to start and then you have to continue a certain way. Mm, um, in, yeah. in a way, the, the, the ideal access is that we create a little access door through which you can walk in mm. and then you're free to explore. Um, nobody will say if you have seen Swan Lake, you have to see Nutcracker next. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really all, all, we want to give, all, all we want to do is to make you feel you have the tools to say, mm. I want to try this, I want to try that based mm. on my previous experience or maybe in opposition to my previous experience or um yeah um that this is what is that's what it all should be about yeah no definitely i agree and um going back so you came from a small town in germany i'm sure you didn't expect to be now running one of the biggest opera houses in the world and i think i mean a lot of people would debate say the, the best so <laughs> <laughs> From going to working at the festival, how did you kind of find your trajectory in the world? Did you just kind of go from one thing to the next? Was it kind of strategic? No, I, I've never your... been very strategic about it because I think there's so many different aspects to it. First mm. of all, it needs to be a match. Yeah. Right? And not 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 everybody functions with every company. Mm. Um, like it's not a generic thing. I think it needs to be a... And you don't do opera or ballet the same way in every no. place you go. I think there's also, um, you need to be ready to embrace the place you come to. Mm. I think that, that's important and feel yourself into it. And um, and then of course, try to shape it and, um, and take it um, in a certain direction. But no, I think I was very lucky in many different ways. First of all, because I was able to start at the Salzburg Festival, which mm. was at the very, very, you know, we'd say at the highest level possible. Yeah. So I, um, and I was very lucky that I had people who mentored me and who gave me jobs at that level mm. right from the right from the beginning because it, it, yes. it shapes your your notions of, of quality and of what what you what you expect from mm. yourself and from from the people you work with um, in in quite a unique and I want to say wonderful way. Um, mm. And to be able to do that in you know in different capacities and in different um, places for about ten years was really a very important how you know how to say that 
school. Taught me the, the business of, of, of opera and, and ballet in a, in, a, in a minor extent um, at a very, very high level. And then I was very lucky that in 2008, the Canadian Opera Company, when I was really quite unknown and certainly nothing in my CV qualified me for the leadership of the company, mm-hmm. they took a chance on me because they liked my profile. They thought I could Amazing. bring something to them, which they were missing. And to be able to learn the job of, of, of a general director of running a company for 12 years there in a, in a very good environment again, um, in a very good, beautiful theater, um, great artistic forces, um, but a little bit, you know, away from the spotlight also. Coming back to what I said at the beginning, I've never really applied for a job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I think that's not the way it works. I think mm. you, engage, you engage in a conversation and at yes. some point you you reach a level of like critical mass where you think mm. maybe with these people in that place yeah it's, it could it's going it's going to work um and i think that's Absolutely. that's 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 very important it's not a um of course it's a career but it's not something that you um pursue necessarily in a generic fashion like there's no yeah. In a way, nor good or bad places. In a way that you need to find the good places for yourself that mm. that you can work with, that you can function with. And how would you how would you compare from? I mean, I wouldn't say so that it's a comparison, but what do, what are the differences from now working at Paris Opera as opposed to the Canadian Opera? I mean, it's a different size just because the Paris Opera is so much bigger. First of all, the Paris Opera is an opera and ballet company. Um, in in Toronto, as almost everywhere in North America, the ballet and the opera company are separate. Yes, um, because they're all private initiatives. We are here in Paris. We were started by Louis XIV in yeah. 1696, um, and it was everything from the beginning. And in Europe, it's rather common that the opera and the ballet are one company. It's a completely different funding model as well. Uh, like here yes. in Paris, we're off the government. We still receive about 40, um, between 40 and 45 percent of our funding. Um, from the government, which gives you, um, in terms of what you can do, you're really present all from the outset. Um, yes, you have a yeah. great presence in your community. We have two great theaters. Um, so you have a real impact on the community. Yeah. Um, in, in North America, the culture is, is almost entirely private. Um, it's very difficult to have that same impact because you deal with risk in a very different way. Of right? course, I mean, yeah. of course, I manage a lot of risk here. I have to generate 55% of my revenue for mm. tickets, fundraising, and, and, um, and other income. Um, that's that's not nothing. It's, it's no. 1,500 um, permanent employees here in Paris. It's a great responsibility for all these people to have a, a more or less safe existence. Yeah. Um, it's just that the level of, of risk is somehow mitigated by that base funding that you receive from the government even even though in our case it doesn't cover um the fixed cost anymore it used to it's not not the case hasn't been the case for about you know 10 15 years um and you think that through to a scenario where my public subsidy in toronto was 15 percent of the budget mm. um so 85 percent of your revenue is self-generated um does you have to be very careful with everything that you put on is it's it's a it's a really very in-depth risk yes. analysis um, because you need to figure out not only can I sell it to a sufficient number of people but also can I um, infuse enough 
donors yeah. to adhere to that project um, and also not fall into the trap of doing only the most popular stuff um, over and yes. over and over again, which, yeah. which sometimes seems a very good um, short-term strategy to fill the theater, but there's of only course. so many times in a lifetime that people need to see Bohemo Traviata. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> yes, or Swan Lake. Or Swan Lake. And so you, it's really about balancing that risk. And um, yes, so for you sure. end up, but, but in a North American um, environment and logic, you really end up producing much less just mm. because of the, of, the, of the level of risk that you need to manage in a very different yes. way from, from you, the way you would have to do it in Europe. Of course. And what would your vision for innovation be while obviously honoring the tradition? I mean, it, it very much depends on the place where you are, I think. Um, right. I think we in Toronto, we took a lot of risk and mm. uh, it was mostly rewarded by the audience, I believe. Yes. Okay. Um, here here um, in Paris, because we produce so much more, we mm. produce, you know, around 20 operas between 12 and 14 different ballets every yeah. season um, with a total of almost 400 performances. Um, yes. So you can put on much more variety, which right from the outset gives you access to a much more diverse audience. Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think that really is the role of a, a theater that has a public role like we do, is that you try to reach a lot of different people with a lot of different um, artistic proposals, right? Um, and then you have a span here in Paris, which I find wonderful between the opera and the ballet, we can go from the most avant-garde to the most traditional in one season and also create a certain coherence with that. Yes. Is it one one thing um, is, uh, you know, all your artistic projects are built on previous artistic projects, if you like mm. it or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> and especially for a company that has been around for over 350 years, there's always a previous history. Unless yes. you create something from scratch, but even the things that are created from scratch are created in a certain environment. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of for, for me, our business is really storytelling um, and mm. all the stories you tell um, are somehow based on the stories that you've previously told. Yes. Right. Um, yep. And then, of course, you have the, the absolutely crucial role of the creator and the artists um, to tell that story to an audience. And if it's if it's a very old opera or a very old ballet, um, we always need artists of today to tell that story for an audience of today. So in a way, mm. the question, is it contemporary or not? The longer yeah. I do this becomes less and less important. Yes. Um, of course, only doing doing the old stuff over and over again with people of today is not quite sufficient. Like I think no. we need to also open it up, push the limits. But I think the, the, the fact that we are in opera and ballet, which is, you know, theater at large, if you want. Yeah. Um, it is contemporary because it doesn't exist if we don't have artists on stage who do it for an audience in in the moment. Um, and and I think that's that's really important. The and it's different every night too. Like yeah. even with the same people, it's different every night. And it's a, in a way, it's very fragile too. Yes. Yes. Right. You need to you need to be there and take care of it and keep it together. Um, yeah. Um, because it doesn't it doesn't do it itself. No. It, no, it requires a significant effort from everybody involved and just the people you see on stage and in the pit and just the people, there's a lot more people that you don't lot. see. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the, the stage hands and the weeks and yes. people and 
um, and the marketing people who sell the tickets and the hair, yeah, the makeup, the, lighting. Yeah, the front of house. I mean, it's it's literally hundreds of people yeah. um, that need to function together mm. to put on a show every night. And um, you know, that's a that's a very significant effort. Um, it's also what keeps me engaged and fascinated. With yes. What I do is that you really um, kind of you start again every night. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing more satisfying than when you see that it actually works. Yeah, and it all came together. Well, it's a, it's a, it's an aspect if you want of of, of the of the circus. You never know. Um, yeah. <laughs> if it's gonna if it's gonna work or not, right? There's a there's a there's a there's a risk, and that risk creates a tension. And a magic. Because I think for and a magic, yeah. Um, and there's just a mystery about it. And I think that the, mm. the, the the myth of opera and ballet is very important and we shouldn't use it um, in a way to kind of scare people and keep them out. But it's, I think it's something that can be a very strong attractive element to what we do, especially yeah. when you have a building like the Palagangi, which is like so iconic and so gorgeous. And yes. um, that's, I think that's, that's really um, important. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think about the importance of like cross-disciplinary collaborations? Like possibly like I know some of the ballets have used like, you know, different fashion brands to incorporate collaboration or even sometimes technology and, and things like that. What what do you think about this? Do you think you'll look into that more as our world becomes more kind of you know, using different different methods of, you know, technology, AI, VR, like all of these different things. Yeah. I think all of this needs to be artist-led. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if we absolutely. Have, if, 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 we, if, we, if we have a creative team that comes in and says, we want to do all these kinds of things, I'm yeah. very open about that within the limits of, of cost and if yes. they can actually realize with the with our means. When you know our means are considerable here, so mostly yeah. I think we're open and we're interested. But I'm I'm not going to impose on a director or a choreographer to use a tool that they don't mm. want to use. Um, yes, and of a lot of them, because of their other work that they do, you know, before or after they come here, they're plucked into a community. Mm. Um, they um, come with a lot of and that's why we need them right that's yes. why we want them because yeah. they will make us question ourselves they will bring a new impulse um and they will make it more exciting for ourselves and for the audience and we just did this i think you didn't see it this new production for me and juliet um oh no know. i missed yeah um, i missed that one and and so the thomas julie the director he came um and said i want to work with this choreographer mm. who um does walking yeah. Now, nobody at the Paris Opera had ever heard of whacking, really, <laughs> ever, ever before. Um, um, but and and that so he brought an element to this, and it's it's really quite amazing a lot how old music can work very well with modern styles of dance. And, and yes. she did an amazing job with her group of dancers that she that she that she brought with her. Um, yeah. they really. Um, introduced a contemporary element in that piece that mm. felt so natural yeah, um, wow. when people saw it and made it made the whole piece so more powerful and so more impactful um, and now we all love you know a new <laughs> style of dancing and who who knew um, these these are the the encounters that we're, we're looking for but when you force them too much um, yeah. they will feel they will feel forced to the audience 
No, I, I love that as well. One of the, I, I didn't get to see it, but I think I talked to you about it before. I loved um one of the performances by Alexander Ekman when there was like green balls literally coming down. And it, it's, oh, it's yeah. so funny because the, what was it, play, I think? It was play. It's coming, it's coming back, Um, I think, in a couple of years um, yeah. and, and it's a total it's a total must because he also did something yes. um, Ekman he really pushed a company to embrace things that they didn't really <laughs> think were possible and um, the last time we did play um, was I think it was in the 21-22 season um, yeah, yes. to, to have like the and you have these huge like um, inflated white balls yeah. Into flying from the auditorium, uh, from the stage into the auditorium, oh, my... pushing them up and really playing, right? With, yeah. with the artists on stage. It, it's an incredible moment. Um, I know, and, and so, especially in yeah. such an old theater and like. <laughs> yeah, and so, but it's a really, what's amazing about this is you, you, you start out with an avant garde project that becomes mm. a classic. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's, that's, how a lot of good art um, survives, right? It starts out as something that people think, ooh, this is a bit out there and, and yeah. you're really not used to this. And then um, they go with it and um, it just opens up a completely new horizon. Definitely. And the impact of these successful collaborations, I guess like before they happen, you're, you don't know exactly how the audience is going to react, but do you, do you have a sense yourself how you feel it's going to go and, and in what direction? I mean, that's the most difficult part of it, of course, because yes. you, you set it up in theory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then only when you actually start working on it, you um, get a feeling if it's really right. uh, working or not. But I think you can you can mitigate that risk in a way. I mean, what I like to do with the artists that we work with is that I spend a lot of time talking, hmm. especially the ones that I've never worked with before, that we many years before it actually happens yeah we start talking about why this piece what do you want to do wow why do you want to do this because in, in a way my my role is not necessarily to like or dislike what they do but yeah. my role is to understand it and to communicate about it and to defend it um you know internally but also towards the audience um so that's why i always say i need to understand why you do what you're doing i don't necessarily need to like it but i yeah. need to be able to um to defend that this is how it needs to be done in this particular Amazing. instant. And of course, there's never only one truth. Yes, so true. Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, there's <laughs> there's a million different ways of doing things. That's why we keep, yeah. you know, going going at them, um, which is also wonderful. I think it's important for the audience to know too. There's not like no standard version of anything, hopefully, mm. um, because yeah. the, the works are so rich that Definitely. we can, with different artists, draw different aspects of them and that's why we keep doing what we're doing yeah and I think that's such an interesting conversation that so many people don't realize like that you know you would have have this conversation with some of the the artists and choreographers a long time before the works even start being being made and what what does some of that if you can tell us that conversation involve how does it start how does it develop how does it go from like an idea to something that's, you know, being performed on stage in front of, you know, 2,000 people? It's really very different each time. Mm. Because sometimes you don't need to talk a lot because you have yeah. a level of understanding where it's kind of obvious. And it's all about building trust. 
right? Of course. Um, mutual trust. I need to trust them, but they also need to trust me and they need to trust yes. the company. Um, that's that's very, very important. And sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it also, you know, is a little bit more complicated when you have mm. to reject a, a project is to say, I don't believe this is going to work and you haven't convinced mm. me that you're going to make it work. Um, right. Luckily, that doesn't happen all that often when you really have the conversations a long time before they actually start working precisely on the project. Mm. Um, but it can happen. And those are sometimes you also need to um, tell them this is too big, this is too expensive, we won't be able to run it in rep. Like there's yeah. a practical um, aspects of it that you have to go back. And in my experience, it's not always true, but it can be true um, in many, many cases when you actually put constraints around the project, um, it forces the creative team to really focus on what is important. So true, yes. Um, and in, 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 on many, many occasions, it's actually a better project in the end. Yeah, right. Um, that's so and, interesting. And, that's, and that's, yeah. that's, that's part of our role as a company, as a facilitator, to also challenge the artists and question the artists to say, we're not here to just give you everything you want, yes. right? which is a, a one-way relationship. What we want is a, a two-way relationship where you, well, like we want to work with you, right? Yes. Yeah. You, you're great, you're great artists and we, we want to invite you in our buildings to create. Yes. Um, but you also need to kind of give us the respect. Reciprocate. First of all, yeah, reciprocate that we know our buildings. We also know ballet and opera. Um, yeah. Like we're, we're just as professional as you are. Um, yes. And if we unite forces, um, it can be extremely powerful. They're not going to work against each other. Absolutely. And and taking that risk for maybe someone that's more of an emerging choreographer or or someone that maybe hasn't done as much, but you you feel there's space for you guys to collaborate. What is there I mean, is there certain terms that you go through to think about the logistics of that? I mean, I work a lot in trust. Mm. Right. Usually um for the people that, that come to work here for the first time. Um, it just usually works it, that you see something somewhere that yes. you find interesting, remarkable, different. Yeah. Um, and then you see how does that fit into what we do here or what mm. we want to do here or where we want to go. And then you start a conversation. You sometimes yeah. suggest the piece. Sometimes they have something they really want to do. Yes. I right. think it's, it's also really, and, and, and for, in a place like Paris, it's one of my greatest concerns is that artists don't just accept because we invite them mm, but that they that they do something they really want to do i would say the yes. flame needs to burn yeah with right? passion and, um, yeah with with passion it's really something you not it's not about wanting to work at paris opera it's but wanting to realize a project that yeah. you feel strongly passionately about yeah it's awesome. hundreds of years of repertoire right yeah. Um, and sometimes you're just not in a place. I mean, there's a lot of no. things that I appreciate um, enormously today that, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, um, I was not interested in at all. And I think it's also the way you live with art. Yes. Um, you don't have a Picasso day every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a good quote. Don't, don't, I, I mean, I, I, I would say um, I have a Mozart day every day. Okay. There's, there's other, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I have to agree. <laughs> um, there's other composers, other works. Sometimes, you know, 
I really am into them and then those periods where I don't really yeah. need them in my life. Um, but knowing that they can, can have them back certainly helps. Um, and from a professional point of view, of course, you have the privilege of really getting to know pieces by producing them, which is, is a really important privilege of my job, which I... Mm, um, that's amazing. Yeah. Appreciate in a very humble way because I'm, I'm allowed access to those pieces. Um, also prolonged access um, that not everybody has. And um, it, it's, it's one of the most satisfying things um, in what I do that you actually can live with those works of art for a prolonged period of time. No, and in, in a way, then it becomes like almost like I've, I thought that a lot during COVID and oh, things are really fragile and you yes. can be opened again and you can actually sit there and you, you know, um, if it's two hours or four hours, whatever mm. the length of that performance is, um, it almost becomes therapy, right? Absolutely. Um, it, it, I it's, agree. It's a very, uh, it's a, and I think that also from the outset, especially for theater, um, and it's, you know, related art forms, the, the aspect of healing was always yeah. very important um, that there was a, an aspect of, 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 of healing that we don't you know, heal with like medication, mm-hmm. um, but, but the, like one more spiritual um, yeah. that, that art can do. And if you, if you are there, if you immerse yourself and you let go um, yes. and you go on that, on that journey, which, you know, for the most part is a multi-hour journey. So it, it takes mm-hmm. out, it really takes you out of, of, of your day-to-day um, and not in an escapist way, I think but really in a more therapeutic way. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it does, it does really like, I think, yeah, it does take a part of you to definitely let go and to let yourself. And I really liked what you said before about like, once you open the little door into into the world of arts and like the exploration of like everything that there is, music, art, orchestra, ballet, there's, there's no right or wrong. To, to where you can where you can go from that. No, you can also be the only person who likes it. Um, it's yeah. fine. Like uh, exactly. Right? If all the others, <laughs> if all the others hate it, but um, you like it. You're right for yourself. You are. Doesn't, exactly. mean the, doesn't mean all the others are wrong. Sometimes they are. Um, but <laughs> um, no, but that's your right as a as a as an individual. Yeah. You, you know, because it speaks to you in the end. And of course, um, going to the theater. Um, to the opera, the ballet. Um, it is, of course, a collective experience. You gather mm-hmm. in a space with other people, but the moment the lights go out, you're with yourself. Yeah. So it's a it's a collective and an individual experience at the same time, um, which is really fascinating because you kind of are together with these people, but you're still alone with your experience. Yeah. Um, and the fact the fact that we turn the light off, and we have been turning the light off you know, for about 150 years or so. <laughs> Um, a little bit less also helps to focus. Of it course, does, before, yeah. Before, before that, mostly for technological reasons, um, yeah, the course. lights were always on in the auditorium, which was also uh, a significant distraction. But in the, mm. in the days of candlelight or gaslight, it was really difficult to darken the auditorium. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. But I, I think that does also add to the whole journey, as you said, of, of being with yourself and... Uh, really tuning into the performance in front of you, no matter what it is. I'd love to ask about advice that you would have for, I mean, obviously you you gave us a little bit of advice, but for newcomers in art or people who are, who are wanting to go see the ballet, but maybe they are like unsure or, or the opera or t- any of that, any advice in general? 
<laughs> I mean, I would say consume voraciously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and and everything, I, I think, of course, all the arts are interconnected. Yes. Um, and and if you have the possibility, if you're in Paris or in London or in New York or in a smaller city, um, try to do a lot of different things because they mm. will then, in a way, interact with each other if yeah. you want it or not. But and they will they will start creating a context for you um, that will enrich. Every individual, every individual experience you have. Like if you love the ballet um, or the opera, if you go to an art gallery or to a museum, um, in the end, there will be connections that are forming. And um, I think it's very important to just let that grow naturally. Also to figure out there what you like, what you don't like, what speaks to you, what doesn't speak to you at, at that mm. moment. Um, and then just let it live with you. Like welcome it to your life. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's such great advice. Well, Alexander, I feel like we've touched on a lot of different things and your wisdom and knowledge will go a long way for all of our listeners. And it's been the greatest pleasure to have you on today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to Sportive AF. Don't forget to tune into our Instagram. And thanks again. Have a lovely day. Bye.